It's time for Twig this week in Google. We got a great guest. In fact, I think we're going to spend a lot of the show talking about the insights that Stephen Levy discovered when he was in the Plex, reporting direct from inside Google. Brand new and next on Twig. Netcasts you love from people you trust. This is Twig. Bandwidth for This Week in Google is provided by CashFly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twig. This Week in Google, episode 92, recorded April 27th, 2011. You're a tip, I'm a tool. This Week in Google is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to Squarespace.com slash twig, and be sure to check out their annual plans for savings up to 20% off. And by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that's simple. For Hover's transfer concierge service free for you, go to twig.hover.com. And by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC or Mac or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. It's time for Twig this week in Google and a great panel. Uh, I'll introduce first our regulars, Jeff Jarvis from CUNY, the City University of New York, and blogger at buzzmachine.com and the author of a fabulous book on Google. I'm going to give you all the plugs now, Jeff. What would Google do? <laughs> I've been upstaged, but properly so. You're going to get upstaged here in a second. We'll explain. Somebody who actually reported, as opposed to me, I just blather. <laughs> <laughs> that laugh, of course, is Gina Trapani from Buzzmachine. I mean, from SmarterWare.org. Buzzmachine is Jeff's SmarterWare.org. Hi, Gina, and think up. Hi, great how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Really glad to be here because we have a fantastic. Uh, guest on the line, Mr. Stephen Levy, who is an immortal in the uh, in the computer book realm. He wrote uh, the classic Hackers, which I'm very pleased and proud to say I it was reissued by O'Reilly last year, and I got an autographed copy in my little hot little hands. One of my favorite books of all time. Let, let the squeeing begin. Let the squeeing yeah. begin. <laughs> and the new book is called In the Plex. Uh, and it is, uh, as you say, um, Jeff Jarvis, uh, uh, it is st a reportage. Stephen, actually, it, uh, the modern word, I guess, is it was embedded at Google. <laughs> Were you embedded at Google? Well, to some degree. I uh, spent a lot of time there and got access to uh, literally anyone I wanted to talk to. That's uh, nice. So that, that was amazing. How come they were so helpful? <laughs> I think a couple things. One is they, they knew me. I've been covering them a long time, almost since the start for when I was in Newsweek. Also, I think that at this point, they think they have to open up a little more. I think that they feel they've been maybe too secretive. And now that uh, a lot of trust issues have opened up, uh, they, they thought it was to their advantage to let someone in and uh, explain how things went in a little more depth. Did they try to strong arm you at all and, and convince you to... Uh did they spin? Well, originally, uh, Elliot Schreg, who was then the uh, head of, of, of PR when I was negotiating the terms here, said that he, if um, he's now I Facebook, right? Approval, I know exactly. Yeah. Uh, 
that if I gave Google approval over everything in the book, they would give me a badge. But I thought that wasn't too good a deal. So, uh, <laughs> you know, well, good nobody, for you for turning that down. Nobody's going to buy a book that says approved by Google. <laughs> <laughs> but just... what, what, what happened was kind of the opposite. What happened? Because I, I got so familiar with the place, and people knew that I was seeing things that journalists uh, weren't allowed to see because everything was embargoed until the book came out. Uh, we would wind up gossiping very quickly into an interview, and they would talk to me more like a peer than a, a journalist there. Uh, so it, it, it turned out to be great that, that I was there so much, and everyone knew that I was doing this inside book, so they felt free to talk to me. Yeah, eventually, that's what happens with cameras, too. Eventually, people just get used to it, and they kind of forget, and they just... They, and and yeah. it had been several years, right, Stephen? When did you start researching the book in earnest? I started, uh, you know, the, the intense research in uh, June 2008. So wow. just the time I started Wired. Right. So it's been quite some time. So folks were just used to ha having you around. You were kind of one of them during, during all that time. Yeah. I mean, it shows in the book. It's it, it just leave you there, you know, so we can keep talking. It is great in the sense that, uh, uh, you know, you've got quotes, you've got conversations, you've, you've got stories about things that, you know, we were covering from the outside from the uh, inside looking in, and that makes it so much fun and so interesting. I have, I confess, I haven't finished the book. I'm still uh, about in the middle of it. There's, I should have gotten the audiobook edition. You didn't get to the China chapter yet. That's my favorite part. Well, let's talk about it, because we were sitting here covering that from the outside, um, and uh, starting with uh, that December, infamous December meeting between Eric and, uh, and Larry over what to do about China. Were you, right. were you well, kind of privy well, to what was going on there? Well, that was the end of it. And, you know, and I have to say that there were things they didn't let me in on. And one thing is they didn't invite me into their war building. They usually have war rooms to handle crises. But in this case, they did a whole building wow. uh, of people in crisis mode after that break-in in, in 2009, late 2009. But, you know, that was just the, the, the end of this long process, which I felt was leading to their... Uh, inevitable pullout anyway. They got increasingly uncomfortable with the original terrible compromise they made to censor. And there was actually, uh, after the Olympics in 2008, when China didn't let up, uh, there was a rump group of executives within Google who started to urge them to reconsider the policy. Uh, so this was stuff was going on even before that break-in. If, if there hadn't been a break-in, do you think it would have been critical mass? I, I, think, I, I think eventually it would have. Uh, uh, you know, some people at Google disagree with me, but it, it just got more and more un untenable. Uh, China kept asking for more and more and more, and uh, the uh, competition with Baidu was always going to be tilted. Um, and uh, there was cultural gaps on top of that. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe they would have stumbled over for a longer period of time. But certainly uh, there were a lot of people at Google that were increasingly unhappy with this compromise. Uh, they thought that they were going to change China. They thought that the justification for this compromise of censoring the search engine was that they would give more information to China, and they would say when they censored things, and people they felt would push back against the government and then demand, we, we want our information, stop censoring Google. But uh, it went in the opposite direction. China was actually asking them to censor the search engine outside of China in the Chinese language. So if you searched uh, in New York City uh, for Tiananmen Square, you wouldn't get any information about the protests. You would just get happy bureaucrats and tourists. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's kind of ironic because one of the things I learned in the book that I did not know was that Google was going to buy Skype. Right. 
What happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they bought Gizmo yeah, instead. Yeah, when eBay wanted to move it, uh, Google was just about to buy it, and they were having a meeting to give the final approval. But one product manager, the guy who bought Grand Central and was developing Google Voice, a really colorful guy named Wesley Cham, uh, devised a, a, a plan to sabotage the purchase uh, during the meeting. He sort of sandbagged it, made it look like he and other executives were on board. He got Sergey on his side and Salar uh, Kamanjar, who's a very powerful figure at Google, who a lot of people don't know. Um, and halfway through the meeting, uh, he started pulling up all these questions, uh, and it turned out the questions had no answers, like who was going to take charge of it who, and, and, and other things. And then he started pointing out all the negatives of it. And by the end of the meeting, uh, Sergey just said, you know, this is terrible. And uh, actually, here's the worst word than that. And Eric said, that's it. And by the end of the meeting, this, the purchase was tanked. Wow. Well, we wouldn't have uh, Skype 5, maybe, if it had happened. <laughs> <laughs> and you sound great now, Jeff. Thank you. you fixed I mean, it. I have Google Voice if it happens. Is, 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 is Thank is God we have Google Voice. I love Google yeah. Voice. So Thank I'm, goodness I'm for relieved. that. But you do describe their, their management style, or Larry and Sergey's management style, as kind of ad hoc. In fact, there's a quote in here I'd love to find that basically says, uh, you know, that, that uh, Larry is just shy and doesn't want to talk to anybody has no people skills and Sergey has people skills but he thinks but he is very arrogant about people who are not as smart as he is yeah that was a quote from actually a, a an ex googler uh, uh, about them and it, it's interesting Larry he he is not a very extroverted person uh, but when he's within his comfort zone he's very articulate and fun even when, when you see him at those TGIFs the meetings they have every Friday afternoon where all the employees get to ask any question of Larry and Sergey and the other executives. He's very relaxed, and he and Sergey banter. It's almost like Hope and Crosby uh, make jokes there, yeah. So what do you, this is out of the book, but what do you think of, uh, of uh, Larry taking over? Uh, uh, was that a shock when Eric Schmidt uh, stepped down and Larry took over? would have been a big shock if it was someone besides Larry, I'll tell you that. that then I, I, I found out about this literally the last weekend, I can make changes in the book before it got shipped off to the printer <laughs> there. And uh, I was very relieved it was Larry because I realized, uh, looking through the book, that it almost foreshadowed it because Larry's values are really the Google values there. Sergey also subscribes to these values, but it's really Larry with his obsession with speed and scale and ambition. You take on big projects, who really is the soul of, of Google. And it wasn't really surprising that after 10 years, of, of not being CEO, a job he never wanted to give up, uh, that he would come back at a time where Google really has to launch a fight. How good a job! I mean, what I said was that Schmidt was the Prince Regent, and his, you know we forgot, but always knew it was his job to train the true owners to take over. Did he do a good job of training Larry? Do you think that you, you sense uh, growth in Larry over time, and how will he do as CEO? I think in, in some aspects he'll, he'll do fine. I really like some of the uh, reorganization changes he's made. But I think I would have hoped that he would have realized out, straight out the gate, maybe he'll realize this eventually, that now that he's the CEO, he can't shut out the world. He has to explain what he's doing. And he has to really see that one important product at Google is in addition to the important products like Android and search and ads, is the public perception of Google there. And he can do a lot to shore that up by being transparent, by being more of a, of a public person. Not totally. He doesn't have to be out as much as Eric was, but uh, maybe take some questions on an earnings call or, or something like that. Uh, and so far, it seems like he's resisting that.
Do you think he's? Do you think he could do it? I mean, some people just can't, or it took a long while, for example, for Zuckerberg to to learn how to do that. I think just like Mark has learned to do it, he, Larry can do it. The times I've interviewed him, when he's finally, I finally nailed him down to the table and said, "Let's do the interview," he does just fine. Mm -hmm. We're talking Stephen Levy. He is the author of uh, a brand new book that is uh, wide, being widely praised. Uh, I've loved it so far. It's really a great story in the Plex. Um, how Google thinks, works, and shapes our lives. And he literally was in the Plex and got amazing access to uh, everybody at Google. Brand new from Simon & Schuster. We're going to take a break, come back with more. There is some Google news, but I think really we should take advantage of this chance to talk to Stephen and get some more juicy gossip, frankly. Yes. That's all I care about. <laughs> before, we, before we get to the juicy gossip, let's uh, talk about Squarespace.com, the secret behind exceptional websites i am a big squarespace fan we put our uh, our twit blog inside.twit.tv on squarespace and i can't tell you what an easy simple platform it is one of the needs that we had was for multiple users multiple editors and squarespace handles that so elegantly now it's hosting plus software some of the best content management software out there um Oops, that's the wrong picture. Let me show you our, our what a good job they did with our blog. One of the nice things about it, of course, is that Squarespace is very flexible in terms of templates. Every Squarespace site uh, looks different. See, we, we use the Twitter widget to uh, incorporate uh, our tweets in there. They've got Flickr widgets, other social media widgets, Facebook, of course. And uh, it makes it very simple to design a site that looks unique, has all of the features and elements you want. It doesn't have to be a blog. It could be... Uh, you know, uh, in fact, a lot of businesses use it for their business site. If you don't have a website yet, your Facebook page doesn't count. You need to have a website you own, and that's where Squarespace is so great. It starts at $12 a month, but you could try it free right now. If you go to squarespace.com slash twig, click that big green button. You won't need a credit card. You won't need anything but the name of your site, a password, an email address, and, uh, and a, enter this capture. And now you're setting up a site using all the features of Squarespace. Their great iPad and iPhone application for posting content and moderating content. Here's some of the amazing sites. They just all look different, but they. What I think if you're going to give the uh, give, if there's a quality of Squarespace sites, they always look fresh, and clean and simple and easy to use. There's just something about it. They also are always very responsive, and one of the reasons they're so responsive is because Squarespace uh, does the hosting with some very sophisticated. Uh, virtual hosting uh, based on the Java network that means there's always bandwidth available for you. I want you to check it out right now, free for the next two weeks. Just go to squarespace.com slash twig and uh, find out about all the great features that make Squarespace a unique platform for you, not just your blog, but your photo gallery, your e-commerce, whatever you're doing on the web. Squarespace.com slash twig. We thank you so much for their support. This week in Google, Stephen Levy is here today. It's so nice to have Stephen, um, not only a respected journalist, both at Newsweek, now at Wired, uh, but also the author of a brand new book called In the Plex. Jeff Jarvis and Gina Trapani also. I've been hogging Stephen. Go ahead. You guys can... I have, I have a question. Stephen, I know that uh, John Battelle asked you about your opinions of things in the book, and you said that you didn't try not to editorialize too much and that you just kind of laid the facts out. And that's what I love about the book. Anyone who listens to this show should read this book. It's just so dense and has so many great quotes. Um, but I had to ask, do you think that Google 
yeah, I, at one point in the book, there's there's the phrase fa Facebook panic. But there's a little there's a reckoning at Google that they have to kind of uh, take on social. Do you think that Google has the capability to do that? Given, I mean, they're so good at search and data, but they don't seem so good at people. What's your well, take on that? Well, yeah, and there's been a litany of failures in the, the, the social space. And, and not, not one thread to say this was wrong with every single social thing they did. Each one had a different problem. Uh, maybe one thread going through it is that Google doesn't really stick with products when they don't take off. Uh, right away. It's sort of a corporate ADD which leads them to go on to the next thing and they're so uh, enamored of, of the idea that uh, if they fail every so often that shows they're trying hard that it, maybe they don't work hard enough sometimes to turn failures into successes. Uh, but in terms of whether they can do it, I think there's nothing generic in their DNA which says they can't do it. They actually they bring a lot of assets to bear to build a, a social product. It's just that it's harder to do now and it is true that it's not Google's strength to catch up to someone. Uh, I talked to uh, one, one of your uh, product managers for one of the earlier social products that said, you know, we're not good at chasing taillights. Uh, we're good at going forward when you know, there, there's no one out ahead of us and we're, we're ahead of everyone else. But drunks chase taillights. So that's really not our natural strength. <laughs> drunks and dogs. Well, I mean, what, what they need to do is not chase Facebook's taillight, but to do something better, to innovate in social, do something that Facebook, you know, better in social than, than Facebook does right now. And I think it seems like they're struggling with that. And it also does seem like they throw things against the wall and maybe not follow up as much, like Buzz and, and My right. Beloved Wave. Um, you know, but, but that's kind of one of, the, one of the, the problems with becoming so big, right, is like if you, if you don't have an immediate success, it seems like a failure and then you kill it and try something else. Well, I, I talk about this new initiative, and you know they they allow me to say its name in, in here officially. It's called Emerald Sea, and uh, this is like a massive initiative uh, in Google, and you're not going to see it all at once. And you know, you see now things which I think uh, you, you know Google identifies as coming from their social initiative, like social search or recently the plus one button, right? Um, and they're running this thing differently than they've run their previous products. It's more of a top-down, uh, organized effort uh, that, that, that's thought out uh, more, more coherently there. So uh, let, let's see what happens there. The idea isn't to kill Facebook. The idea, and this is me talking, not, not what they said to me, uh, is that I think that what Google really wants is to bring Facebook to the table. It just makes Google crazy that people share all this information with Facebook about who they're in contact with and what their interests are and what they're doing, and Google can't get at that. That's very good information for Google, uh, not just in a social sense, but in a search sense. And uh, I think if Google feels that uh, they could get an equally important corpus of social information, maybe they can get Facebook to the table, where it be to the advantage of both companies to sit and share with each other. Now, as a user, I think it's just ridiculous that Facebook doesn't share this information, and, and Google might, in a peak, uh, not give Facebook information in retaliation, because this is our information here. So yes. I don't like the idea of any of yeah. these big companies saying they can't, we can't easily export our information when we choose to any other site where that information could be useful. Yes. I think that's, that's very true. Um, but I've been arguing that, that the, the war between the two and others will be over signal generation, the signals about us that Google clearly uses to um, target content and service and advertising to us and Facebook. And Facebook right now is a far better signal generator 
So, you know, that's, that is the, the, the goal. That is the fleece. Uh, I think it'd be given up quite reluctantly. Right. The other problem is that I think that, well, ironically, put it this way, maybe, Facebook could hide behind privacy. Google mm. wants us to share stuff, and we wouldn't do that. Huh. Even though I agree portability <laughs> is our right. Here's, but here's Google's strength. Google, or Facebook, you're right, is a great uh, you know, uh, signal generator, but Google is a much better signal interpreter. Right. Uh, well said. Well said. Yeah. So it, it knows how to take information and rank it better, much better than, 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 than Facebook can. It doesn't really strike me that Facebook had, has any interest in that. I mean, they, they may, maybe they recognize that, but it, it seems like the Facebook attitude is, well, we could do that. Whatever Google could do, we could do better. So what do we need them for? Stephen, um, you know, er, er, Eric has said for a few years now, you know, whenever, whenever he's asked what Google's biggest challenge is, he says size. Uh, Gina just brought that up in, in terms of size. Uh, I, I'd love to have your perspective, not just from the past, but for where you think it goes in the future about how hard it's going to be to manage the size of Google in terms of, A, getting much bigger faster, B, figuring out how to get past the mistakes that they do make now and right-hand, left-hand kind of mistakes, see what it's like for people to work there. Does it feel like a big, oppressive company to some now? Well, you know, well you've identified. I think it, it, Larry is actually much more worried about that uh, than Eric was. Even though Eric might have identified his number one problem, Larry is obsessed with making Google feel like a flatter company. Uh, and that's, I think, the, what's behind that reorganization he just did uh, that Google really hasn't formally put out a, a blog item about, but uh, has acknowledge that the reports that first appeared in the LA Times are accurate that he broke this down to these product groups and uh, you kind know the, a gang the, of six yeah and, the, and the, the czars of these various divisions are you know like now working together uh, you know in in, in in a clear line of demarcation to be able to you know clear away maybe some middle management and, and, and problems there and, you know and, and it is a huge problem for Google and especially since they're going to hire 6,000 more people this year they've already hired the first 2,000 so they've gone from 24,000 to 26,000 just this year. They'll be at 30,000 at the end of the year. Wow. And what really makes this really hard for Google is that Google selects people who have an intolerance for bureaucracy. The kind of people they love to hire most are people who are hard-charging people uh, who really hate it when they're frustrated by uh, management to, to block them to do what they want to do. They're the kind of people that say, I'm out of here when they run into these Dilbert situations. So, and some of these are inevitable in a big company like that, and that's one reason for Google's brain drain. Google has this thing called an OKR you talk about yeah. in here. Is, is that yeah. their attempt to handle bureaucracy? That's one of them. You know, I, I found that Google has these, uh, a number of these uh, systems internally, which are huge for people at Google, but never really discussed with the outside. OKRs is something that stands for Objective Key Results, and it's something invented by Andy Grove, and John Doerr brought it into Google, but Google embraced it like no other company has. So every Googler, uh, for every quarter and every year, they set these goals for themselves, and they're all measurable. Everything has to be measurable at Google. And uh, at various times during the quarter, they stop and they sit down with people and they say, how am I doing my OKRs? Uh, you know, for instance, when you're working on the Chrome browser, you're launching it, your OKR might have been, we need a million users of Chrome by November. Uh, and you see how you're doing on that. One interesting thing about it is if you meet all your OKRs, uh, all your goals, 
then you're not really not being googly. You haven't set your goals high enough. So upper level meeting it is about two thirds of your OKR there. You've got to really uh, you know titrate your OKRs. Yeah, <laughs> that to me is the epitome of, of a bureaucracy. Six five. That's that's a good you know making your OKR. And one interesting thing is that everyone could get to look at everyone else's OKRs <sighs> on the internal website. Uh, it, it, it has this amazing transparency, transparency within the company that we don't have from without the company. Google's like a lobster. It's hardly inside on the outside and soft on the inside. And so you can look at Larry and Sergey's OKRs and see what their wow. goals are. Sounds a little bit like TPS reports. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> exactly the kind of thing that would chase me right out of there. When, yeah. I, when I visited the campus and was in the Gmail area, I was struck by they had these giant... Um, uh, monitors all around, and if there was any bug that was blocking the next release of Gmail, the developer's photo and the the issue number and whatever the description was showed on the monitor. And I remember thinking, like, my God, as a as a developer, you know, that's uh, it's quite a motivation. But yeah. it, there there was this like transparency, and uh, yeah, I'm blocking the build. Uh, I gotta fix that bug. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, St Stephen, I still want to hear. Well, let me put it this way: Do you think it's still a fun place to work? Would you want to work there? Good well, question. for what I do, I, it, it, I'm not an engineer, so I wouldn't have as much fun. But, right. uh, you know, it, in a lot of ways, it, it, it's fun. The people who really still get a huge uh, satisfaction from it are the, uh, those computer scientists that are still pushing what can be done. Google still wants to do more and more and more with big data and machine learning and, and, and other computer science issues there. So that's why a lot of the key people they hired, great computer scientists, uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, are still with the company. And I think it's, it's interesting that of those, that gang of six you talked about, a couple of those people have been there since almost the very beginning of Google. And they had to essentially re-enlist. They had to recommit to a few more years. So that says something about their belief in Larry, mm. that these people who are richer than God by now, uh, and they can do whatever they wanted, have decided, yeah, I'm going to spend the next few years of, of my life uh, working with Larry Page. There's been some brain drain. You have. There's a great quote I'm trying to find in here uh, about Facebook from somebody who left Google for Facebook, and it's in saying that Facebook is the thing, is the real thing. Yeah, is, Facebook is that company. That's the. It was almost like a taunt to his former colleagues. He sent an email out and saying, "Well, you know, you guys are working for the the, the horse and buggy company now." Right. Yeah, because we're we're going. I'm going to that company. Interestingly, that guy has already left Facebook. <laughs> it so, wasn't uh, that company. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Google has had to deal with that kind of a brain drain. Um, but it isn't, you're right, it's absolutely uh, telling that Vic Gondrotra and uh, Andy Rubin. Uh, what about Marissa Meyer? What, what do you think is your sense of hap what happened to her? She was not in that gang of six, nor was local, uh, one of the six uh, categories. Yeah, well, in theory, I think an, an explanation I heard sort of secondhand was the old Jeff Huber, who's in charge of local. He's more of an engineering guy, and versus more of a product person. I haven't sat down and, and, and talked with her about that, but I actually feel that Google, this is one reason I think you really have to put out some explanation. If not a press release, a blog item, you talk to a friendly journalist, right? Uh, and because that way you could protect the employees that look like they got a bad deal out of the reorganization. Yeah. And you can make an explanation about that. Right now, it's sort of hanging you know, people out to dry who people expected would have been uh, in, in that group. Yeah. 
you still got a lot of brilliant people in uh, in Google who are not in that group, but uh, people like Peter Nor Norvig and others who are. Yeah, no, no, it's not. You know, all the the, the, the smartest people there. For instance, uh, in in search, um, you know, there's a one guy who's sort of like the Yoda of Google. Is you know, I'm at Single, uh, you know, who's it's just an amazing person. He was my transcriber's favorite subject. I did maybe like. <laughs> Like at least four inter long interviews with him uh, as he tried to get it through my thick head how Google's search quality works. And, uh, you know, and he's, he's an amazing guy and a terrific computer scientist. We, uh, we quoted from the excerpt they published in Wired about uh, Eric uh, Schmidt asking uh, if they could remove some information about, <laughs> about him from the Google index and, and being told by Sheryl uh, Sandberg that. No. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't show her himself. This was information that was given to me by the employee who actually so got good. the call. Yeah, and it was really, really early in in Eric's time. The idea wasn't that he had made a some political donation. He didn't want anyone to know. But I think that um, the context of the way she explained it to me was that she her job was to handle calls from people who couldn't understand why information that they considered personal was coming up when people Googled them or they Googled themselves there. And, you know, and, and so she had to deal with this every day uh, of people who had, you know, uh, their address would be exposed to an ex-boyfriend or things like that. And she had to explain to them, uh, as Larry and Sergey explained to her, that anything is public, we have in there. Unless right. it's infringing or illegal, we have to do this. And then this call comes from Eric's office saying, you know, Eric wants you to, to, to get this stuff out. And, you know, she, I think, enlisted, according to her story, she enlisted Cheryl uh, to back her up when she went to Eric's office and said, we don't do that. And Eric dropped the request there. Now, Eric, I should say, he wasn't very happy when this came out, even though I did try to check it with him, you know, but it, it, during the fact-checking process, I checked about a million facts, and for some reason, I guess this didn't get to him. But he, he says, you know, and he, I think he wants me to say this, that as far as he's concerned, this incident didn't happen. But... Um, uh, you know, I have the person on the record saying it did, so you can make your own decision. Denise Griffin, who has since been replaced by a Python script, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was one of those people who, who, who retired very comfortably. <laughs> there, there are, before, before my book came out. I wonder how many millionaires Google has made, actually. Quite a lot. Even the masseuse was a millionaire, right? Really? Right, one of the original. Yeah. I, yeah. Cooks and the masseuse in the beginning. I, f I forget her name. Yeah. And more so now. <laughs> right. The stock keeps going up. At one point, uh, Larry and Sergey were, were absolutely uh, besotted by uh, uh, Steve Jobs and even considered making him the CEO. I don't know if Steve considered it. No, no. It was when uh, John Doerr and Mike Moritz, the venture capitalists, who funded Google only on the condition that they were going to get a CEO, uh, you know, uh, and then a few months afterwards, they tried to renege on the on the deal. Uh, they called up John Doerr. Uh, Doerr told me this himself and said, "We decided we want to run the place ourselves." So Doerr said, "Listen, just do this. Why don't I put you together with a lot of great CEOs? You'll see what an experienced CEO really does and how they could help build this company." So they went on a tour of CEOs of, uh, around Silicon Valley and up in Seattle. They talked to Jeff Bezos. And they came back and said, you're right, we wanted an outsider for CEO. We want Steve Jobs. Uh, and, and, and that was like, Jesus, happen. please. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, so then they did convince him to look at Eric, and, and they liked that. And I think that worked out to everyone's... Uh, I think Eric was exactly the right adult yes. supervision, yeah. 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 What do you think Eric's going to do next? And when? I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, I, 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 my personal guess is 
uh, it, he'll will stay there. And, but if something great comes along, uh, he might go off to that. We're talking to Stephen Levy, the new book, In the Plex, a must-read that is on Audible as well. So we could say it's a must-listen. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's been this. I have one copy, and it's everybody's trying to grab it from me. Tom Merritt wants to. Everybody wants to read this. There, there's still there are more on sale, Leo. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the Kindle. I'm kind of a cheapskate. I, I this is the one the publisher sent, so I I got this one for free. Yeah, I'm learning to love DRM. You can't learn down more than Stephen Levy, learning to love DRM. Uh, we will have more in just a bit. Uh, but first, a little word from Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration made simple. Uh, all you have to do is search the tweet stream for people who are saying, Leo, thank you for telling me about Hover. There are some very happy people. And, and you know what? I got a twit, tweet from uh, somebody who said, oh, no, I'm having all sorts of trouble. They're not very good. And I watched because the Hover uh, Twitter uh, person, the social media person, responded immediately, got it solved. And that person ended up being just very, very impressed and very happy. Hover is the place to go if you want to register a domain name. If you have domains, uh, I would suggest moving them, as I have, to Hover.com. In fact, they will do that for you for free. Normally, they charge $25 for the domain concierge service where they do all the work for you. You can do it for yourself if you want, but for $25, bucks, they will move all your domains, except when you tell them you heard it on Twig, they'll waive that fee even. Now, they do charge $10 per domain that you move there, but that gives you another year. So it's extending it for another year for $10. And the no upsell, automatically built-in free who is privacy, uh, and a no-hold policy for customer service calls during business hours. You get a customer service rep, they will solve the problem, and they will not put you on hold. To uh, get cover the uh, free uh, customer service number, go to Twig, the free concierge customer um, the free concierge transfer service. There we go. Go to twig.hover.com, and you'll see in the upper right-hand corner there is a, a phone number you can call and uh, just say, I heard it on Twig, and they will absolutely uh, do that all for you. And I've talked to a couple of people who have done this, and really, I wish I had done it. It's really great. Also, save, uh, save uh, money uh, on your registration when you use Twig as the offer code. So all in all, this is a good deal with a great registrar, that makes it simple. You see how clean it is? This is what I like. Not a lot of upsell. Sorry, no sexy girls on the front page. Just domain registration. Isn't that what you're looking for? Hover. So, so nice. Isn't that nice? Nice. Twig. T they don't spend a whole lot of money on television ads. There's no Super Bowl ad. They just good service. And us. TWIG.HOVER.com. It's our secret weapon for domain name registration. And we're just big, big fans. So, a couple of stories, and actually, Stephen, I'd love to get your reaction to these news stories. For instance, it just broke this morning, uh, Yahoo sold Delicious to YouTubers Chad Hurley and Steve Chen. They left YouTube uh, not so long ago. Um, but, but isn't Chad still at Google? Oh, Chad's still there. Stephen left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Chad, Chad's more uh, an advisory role now. You know, he, he's not, you know, uh, the CEO of, of YouTube is this uh, amazing guy, Salar Kamanjar, who's... Uh, uh, one person described him as the secret president of Google. Uh, uh -huh. he, he's a, a super influential person and a bright person, but he makes Larry look extroverted. He, he's very shy <laughs> in the public. I've emailed him saying, why aren't we on YouTube Live? And he's been very shy with me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very sweet guy, very smart guy. 
Well, good. I'll tell them Stephen sent me. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was interesting, though. I'm, I hope that they. Uh, I'm not sure why they bought Delicious. I know it was a good deal. Uh, Yahoo. Uh, no, I, I I just thanked them for doing yeah. so. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Right? Can, can they buy Flickr too? Can they buy anything, everything else that, that Yahoo's ruined? It was pocket change for them. I think Yahoo was asking two million dollars for for Delicious. The company that uh, uh, Chad and Stephen run is called AVOS at avos.com. And what is it? It's probably a holding company. I don't know. Let's see. About us. Let's see what it says. In the about it doesn't us. say much. It it's, just says that we that new, they acquire Delicious. Yeah. AVOS is a new internet company. And we, <laughs> we bought Delicious. <laughs> and, yeah, that's about it. They spent, uh, well, they, let's see. They spent one one-thousandth of the money that they got from Google. For, yeah. for YouTube. <laughs> so they could buy 999 other Yahoo products and properties. Uh, other stories. Uh, Visa says we are going to, I guess, back with money. Jack Dorsey's Square, which uh, we've talked about before, is a really great yeah, which, which I mean, the, the money is undetermined, but the more important thing in a way is that they're going to back it as a... Um, as a service, and that's wildly important. Well, of course, Square. Square does take Visa cards, right? So it wasn't; it doesn't like add Visa cards to the Square capability. It has this credibility to it, yes. you know, exactly. You know, the, the, you know, we know the you know, Verisign. You know, as you guys reminded me earlier, earlier was, was, had attacked them and sort of tried to create fear and uncertainty and doubt that it, this was like a safe way to do things. So when it, it, if Visa gets on, on on board, then we know that. Uh, this has the backing of it. it, it it's something that uh, everyone can use and feel comfortable about. I love that. You get this. Uh, this is the Square device. And they'll send this to you free, for free if you go to squareup.com. And it goes into your Android phone or your iPhone, uh, into the, believe it or not, into the audio jack. So it's just really a little credit card reader. It turns it into audio. Then the Square, the free Square software uh, sees the number and says, okay, and, and how much do you want to charge? Uh, into the believe it or not, into the audio jack. Where am I getting my audio from? Credit card it turns it into audio than the square free square software. Uh, That's from you, Stephen. <laughs> Did you suddenly turn on Twit? <laughs> it's usually me. <laughs> yeah, where is this? Where is that coming from? <laughs> you plug in your headphones. So it's not Verifone, it's Vera it's Verisign, it's Verifone. I'm sorry. Not Ver so I screwed oh, you up, Stephen, by saying it was Verisign, it's Verifone. Thank you to our chat room. They're the company that was a little perturbed by Square. I presume they're offering a competitive device. There we go. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Oh, good. Well, I'm, you're, you're, I'm hearing the, the, uh, an echo here from a couple minutes ago. This is a little strange. Yeah, that's coming in through your computer. Make sure you don't have us running. Like, close your web browser, I would I don't, guess. yeah. Yeah, Verifone offers... Secure payment solutions for credit cards, so they don't like this. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this is a this is a great little product, and I've been, I mean I don't have any reason to charge anybody anything, but if I did, I would buy that. And it kind of makes you want a couple of the reason to sell stuff. It does. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it to food camp. We're just going to take donations. Yeah. Want to give me money? Yeah. Give me money. Well, we're going to sell bricks. You know, in the new studio, we're going to have you could put your name on a brick for hundred bucks. Maybe I could just uh, use this. Uh, there you go, Leo. I'll take it to food camp. Get your there name you on a brick. Get your name on a brick here. <laughs> Hundred bucks. Get your name on a brick. Um, let's see. Square does sell its. I'm um, hearing in the stores you can buy a Square 
device for 10 bucks, but then you get $10 credit. So it's a good deal. Which, which stores can you buy them? Uh, let me see. It, yeah. Our chat room's saying that. Does the Apple store do it now? Apple store. That's right. They're yeah. selling it. That's, that's right. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool, too. Uh, Visa, back square. Let's see. Oh, Google and Apple were summoned to a Senate hearing on mobile device privacy. Of course, that's the big story uh, that Apple uh, got in trouble for. Now Steve Jobs is saying, no, we, we're not tracking you. <laughs> Well, we weren't bringing it to Apple. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't really. That was just that was a mistake. It was a bug. You know, I, I think the story was overblown. However, it's just not hard to be transparent. Right. It's not hard to and, and to give people a choice. It's not in Apple's DNA. Yeah, boy, it's just we're doing this. We're doing this for good reason. Uh, you can cut it off. It's your phone, for God's sake. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is this the same problem, Leo? When it comes to um, do not track is that we've all, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal and folks like that have made, have so demonized the little cookie that uh, it could have a huge impact on the media business, on this very business. We were talking and, uh, on the security now about that, and I, yeah. I hadn't really thought about it, but if they enforce a do not track uh, cookie, I don't know if the kinds of tracking that we do, you know, when you download the podcast, whether you use iTunes, Zune, or click directly on our website, if you notice the URL, on all of the and everywhere that you get it, it is a, it is a redirect through our ad agency PodTrack, and that redirect basically is a tracking cookie. It's not even a cookie. It's just you sends your IP address to PodTrack, who adds it to a database to make sure it's a unique address because advertisers don't want to pay for your 17 downloads, so they only count it once. That's why they have to track it. Um, but I think that's tracking, and if if the do not track uh, setting in your browser prohibits that. So, so I first blame business. the advertising and media industries for not being fully transparent about this. And they're just saying, this is what we do. This is why we do it. It's a good reason. It's how you get stuff free from the beginning. So then that allowed the likes of the Wall Street Journal to demonize that. And then in our new um, privacy industrial regulatory complex, along comes the FTC and others trying to say, oh, my God, we can make hay from regulating this and Congress, and it turns into a spiral of unintended consequences. And so Apple is hurting the industry by not having been more transparent about this. Uh, Google is somewhat more transparent because it does make you opt in. Uh, but in general, it's harmless, and the, and the industry should have let us know it was there. Well, it's, it, it, Go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, you really have, yeah, I, I agree about the transparency. You really have to let people know exactly what the, the trade-offs are. Now, the trade-off is obviously different, and you just want to listen to, to this podcast and, and, and you're tracking there. Well, uh, okay, I understand that's, that that's worth it. But the question is, are people comfortable with the idea that uh, they will be tracked wherever they go on the web in order to get ads they hadn't seen before, ads that might be a little more relevant to them uh, and, and display ads when they, when they go to a website? Some people might think yes, some people might think no. Likewise, some people might think it's worth it to let their phone uh, send back information about local Wi-Fi spot, hotspots uh, because that could help the uh, you know them lo locate themselves more accurately. Uh, and you know, in, buried in that thing, Apple also said, "Yeah, we're also getting information about traffic from there." That's another way we're we're, we're you know get, uh, getting location right. information about people, and that's a nice trade-off to say, "Yeah, I'll let the thing track me in traffic if I can know." Uh, the best route to take somewhere else. So obviously, ultimately, the best thing to do would be say, hey, if you want good traffic information, you have to 
share back. You have to share back your traffic information, and then we promise we won't keep it for a long period of time. One thing that came out in that Apple explanation was they said, oh, it was a bug that we kept this for months and months and months. Uh, we really don't have no really good reason to, to keep it for that long. The Google uh, response uh, to this, as quoted by uh, TechCrunch, is all location sharing on Android is opt-in by the user. And we've all seen when you activate yes. the Android phone, those two check boxes that say, uh, and by the way, Apple says, oh, we do that too. They don't say it's location sharing. They say, would you be willing to send anonymous user data back to Apple to improve our services? But they say that's the checkbox for the oh, iPhone. Oh, yes to that. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> And if you look at the terms of service, it is in that 35-page terms of service. We collect location information. We share it with our advertisers, et cetera, et cetera. Although Which everyone has read, of course. Nobody's read, obviously. Google says we provide users with notice and control over the collection, sharing, and use of location in order to provide a better mobile experience on Android devices. Any location data that's sent back to Google location servers is anonymized and not tied or traceable to a specific user. But the journal, who uh, uh, quoted a uh, security expert, uh, Sammy Kamkar, says that the data provided by uh, Mr. Kamkar to the journal contain a unique identifier tied to an individual's phone. It is not anonymous, probably something like the IMEI number. But uh, Google, you know, if Google's not keeping track of it, what well, Google says that uh, it doesn't save that unique identification number. It's not. I mean, as you pointed out, Leo, it's worse. I mean, the, the phone company has all this and more. Yeah. And it's and it's as you point. What's the thing it's called? Where you subpoena without a subpoena? The pen register. Pen register, right? Uh, so the phone company not only has it, but offers it to law enforcement routinely uh, for a small small price. It's a little profit center for the phone companies. But, you know, I, I, I am sympathetic for normal people who say, well, what? They're, what? I didn't understand that. They're tracking me, and I don't think it is explicit what you get. What my fear is that even if we make it explicit, look, you get better traffic data, or look, you get a podcast, or look, this advertising supports the free websites you read, like Wired and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, even if you explain that, people can say, "Well, okay, but I don't want to. I don't want you to know." Well, then, then that's you know what? That's the paywall I'll support. Take no. the cookie or pay, and, and you know what? Pay and don't get advertising. Become a, a, a valuable reader in a different way. I'll, I'd, I'd buy that paywall. You know, economically, it's going to be really hard. I confess to find myself very uncomfortable to be on this side of the equation. <laughs> I almost feel like the music industry. You're putting us out of business. <laughs> no, you're right, Leo. You're right. Because there's no harm. But you know what? Hey, a paywall inevitably creates. I agree. I don't want RM. I don't want that. If I right? have a paywall and I give you something for that money, I've got to somehow protect it. So the next step is to keep you sons of guns from stealing my stuff. Right. That is the ultimate unintended consequence of do not track. What will happen is if it really happens and it really happens big, then certain media sites will have to go behind the paywall to get monetization they've now lost, and a lot of media will die. So, As Jeff, result, when we I go to France to, to talk to Mr. Sarkozy, we're going to tell him that, right? Right. I should tell everybody that Loic Lemur, who was the guy responsible, I found out, for getting me invited to the EG8 forum, heard us talk about it last week on Twig and said, I should invite Jeff. Why did I invite you? So, uh, uh, nice. We're going to have double representation. Jeff's going to go, too. Awesome. Right, Jeff? Did you, now, you I, had to get out of something. Yeah, I did. I did. I feel awful. Uh, Mesh in Toronto, which Matthew Ingram runs, which is a great conference I've always wanted to go to. But I figure if a chance to see 
Monsieur le Président. Um, and you know, I was very concerned that I didn't want to step on Leo's toes because Leo is the president of the uh, That was just... I go <laughs> as his valet. That was just ridiculous. <laughs> his valet. And by the way, my friend is lending us an apartment, so, so you don't have to worry about... Because insane French hotel costs in May. <laughs> and the, 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 the airfares air, air, air are ridiculous. Too. Which sounded pretty good. How do I get on this? You want to go? Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> so the, the deal is <laughs> that the, the G8 summit is coming up in Deauville at uh, end of May. And... Uh, Sarkozy, and I think with the, with the you know kind of, um, I imagine Loic put put a little oh, yeah. pressure on him. Uh, asked has asked a bunch of internet entrepreneurs and, and thought leaders, I guess, to go to France the week before for a forum in which uh, they will have working sessions and create a document to hand to the G8 leaders about the internet and the economy. And uh, you know, while there will be big stakeholders like Jeff Bezos and I'm sure Eric Schmidt will be there and Mark Zuckerberg. Yep. I think it's a good opportunity for those of us who represent the people to go there and to say, hey, you know. I have a fantasy of, of getting up to the microphone and having the chorus from Les Mis behind. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sure uh, Nicholas would appreciate that. As soon as you said create a document by committee, I think I'm staying home. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you yeah, get we the, don't want to go to that. Did you get the thing. schedule, a plenary session, working group, yeah. working group, well, plenary session? Yeah. You know, and we're, we're going to get some crap and deserve it for, you know, what makes you think this organization, and that's part of what I'm going to say, too, is, Mr. Sarkozy, hands off, please. Uh, this is not government's right. turf. And, but, but that's what, you know, why do these people appoint themselves? And I think that'll be legitimate criticism we'll get. On the other hand, I also think this is a discussion that has to be happening. What are the principles? Well, I, I was delighted that the justice minister in Germany uh, reacted to my silly little principles and, and talked about them. And, and it's a discussion that we need. Yes. Well, I'm so glad you're going to be there. I'll just sit back and watch. No, no. But I'm thrilled. Anyway, that's exciting. And, uh, and Stephen, Oysters for all. <laughs> and Stephen, I'm sure Loic is listening. If you, <laughs> I could put in a good uh, word for you. <laughs> that's okay. Oh. <laughs> I still, I'm still still selling my book out here. Yeah, you're, are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah are you touring all around with this book? Are you? I mean, are, is there interest literally, from mainstream yeah, media? Literally, I, I just got back an hour ago from you know, a two-week book tour, um, including talks at Google and Facebook and uh, Microsoft. It was kind of interesting to hear those questions in different places there. Uh, and there, there's a lot of interest. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm on the bestseller list, so awesome. I can't complain Yay. about that. Yeah. Congratulations. It's well-deserved. I find it interesting that Google invited you to come to Google to speak about your book about Google. Yes, I actually did it in New York and in Mountain View there. Uh, they, they have some, some, some pretty good questions. I actually found the Facebook questions really interesting. The first question I got at Facebook was, why don't more people leave Google and come here to Facebook? <laughs> and your answer? <laughs> huh? I said, when I started, I asked how many people here are from Google, and like over a dozen hands went up. I wow. said, isn't that enough? Yeah. It's <laughs> like a greedy like guy. a midnight raid on the place? <laughs> Why can't we hire more people away? Yeah. Um, well, you made that point already in this conversation, that there's still some value. Engineers still some, find some interesting things happening at Google. Man, yeah. this stuff goes fast. You know, it's an 11-year-old, 12-year-old company, and already people are saying, oh, yeah, it's old. Oh, oh. Over the hill. Yeah, and then you see people leaving Facebook. You know, the guys who started Quora, right? right. And uh, other people there, they're, they're, you know, they're, uh, 
startups. That's really where people want to go. It's true. As soon as something becomes a big company, inevitably it becomes a little bit bureaucratized, and and there's less opportunity and less excitement. And it's really fun to be the people who are changing the world. Yeah. So Google's trying to give people, you know, this startup experience within the, the company there. So they took um, uh, John Hankey, who is the the guy who did Keyhole, which became Google Earth, and he was the head of all the, the geo products there. Um, and they moved him out of day-to-day -day operations, and now he's in sort of a think tank for geo, uh, coming up with new, new long-term ideas. So that, that's one way that they're trying to make the job continually interesting to their good people. I notice also that there is this feeling that each group has a certain amount of autonomy, uh, and, uh, and we've noticed that they've all launched products on the same day, for instance. There doesn't seem to be that much coordination between yeah. them. Uh, yeah, it's usually on April Fool's Day, too. <laughs> yeah, very, very good. They must have a lot of people working on April Fool's Day all year long. Yeah, it, it's, it's their big holiday, really. It's like Christmas for them. Really? You know, the, the, month, the month before, they're all busy doing it. They have people who's, uh, there's one guy, I think, whose job, you know, like a huge part of his job, if not full-time, is, you know, for certainly maybe half the year, is coordinating and working on April Fool's things. Well, that's, I get as a that stockholder, job. that's scary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really? Well, you know, you start the book with a description of, uh, of Halloween at uh, Google. And, yeah, uh, Larry yeah, that was my first visit to Google. It was uh, October 1999. And, you know, I heard so much about it, and I was using the search engine. I thought it was great. I, mean, I got to go meet these people. And I, I go there, and Larry Page is dressed like a Viking. He's got a big furry vest and a hat with horns coming out of it. And Sergey is dressed like a cow. He's wearing a cow suit with a, a plastic breastplate with big, disgusting udders coming out of it. So the, Viking, so the Viking and the cow take me into a room and explain Page right to me. I just think it's really uh, sad when a, a serious company gets, you know, doesn't take itself... If I'd only had the fur jacket, it was that or the udders. Stephen, we're going to let you go, but thank you so much. It really is a, a great book. I've enjoyed reading it, and, uh, and of course, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I got to fulfill my dream, being on This Week in Google. Well, uh, uh, you, you say that to all. I'm sure you said it at Good Morning Indianapolis. You said the same thing. <laughs> it's been my dream to work with you, Tom and Sally. No, no, no. This is this is it. This is the peak. Well, right. Stephen, you can come on any time. You know, you're okay. always welcome. All right, all right Stephen. Okay. Well, one, more, one more question. One more question. Okay. How often are we, especially I, wrong about Google? Um, I well, I don't. I I'm not going to judge, judge you that in, in particular, Jeff. But a lot of times, people are wrong about Google. They underestimate it because it looks so chaotic, and they do build it in a lot of chaos. And some of the chaos really isn't intentional, but I think there is a core of, of what they do. Even something as far afield seemingly as this, the autonomous cars, uh, I, I could see the Googliness in, in yeah. it. Like, you know, that, that it really is in the spirit of their other kinds of products in terms of it's a machine learning device uh, that draws information the environment around it and draws on information from Google's servers and, and, and databases or data centers and things like that. So I, I think that that, that's something people miss. There is a core of the company that's actually coherent. You know, I think that happens in, uh, I mean, I have the same, you know, this is, I cover from the outside. You have this great inside access. We cover uh, from the outside Microsoft, Apple, Google, uh, on, on all of our shows on Twit. And really, we're just kind of looking in from the outside. We don't do any actual reporting or anything like that. We just sit here and kibitz. And uh, I think that that's often the case. I mean, I think it's very difficult to understand Microsoft 
uh, from the outside. It's very difficult to understand Apple from the outside. We spend a lot of it's a lot of its Kremlinology trying to understand uh, from outward appearances what's going on internally. So that's why a book like this is really valued uh, because it gives us a really rare, unique uh, peek into what's really going on inside. And it it's kind of opened my eyes in a lot of places. So thank you for writing it. Well, great. Well, well th thanks to all of you, and I'll come back sometime. That's the difference between slow journalism so. and fast yeah. journalism. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm so glad you had answer. the time you did to write this book, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Thank Stephen. You, Take okay. care. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye, Stephen then. Levy. And we're going to let him go, but come back in just a bit with our tool and our tip and our number of the week. But first, a word from our friends at Netflix. No! If you haven't yet signed up for a Netflix account, I don't know what's keeping you. Netflix is amazing. I've been a member for 10, almost, it'll be 11 years in December. So, I mean, I, I bought the, I drank the Netflix Kool-Aid a long time ago, and I love it. Uh, Netflix started, and when I first joined, was as DVD by mail. So you'd sign up, I get five DVDs, I'll show you my queue. I get five DVDs uh, in the mail, and I have as long as I want to watch them, and when I'm done... I send it back, and then it picks the next title in my queue. This is the this was the thing that I think really sold me on Netflix is this idea of a queue. So they have like so the next movie when I send the Smothers Brothers season three disc one back. <laughs> what are you laughing at? It is You're it dating. is a little self revealing when you show your. You're your, debating yourself, man. Yeah. Do you see yourself as Dick or Tommy, Leo? Oh, I'm Tommy. Yes. You know what happened, actually, there's an interesting story, is Andy Anatko uh, told us about an Audible book called Dangerously Funny by David B. and Cooley. And I was so inspired by Tommy the Rebel. I didn't really realize what was going on behind the yeah. scenes. But he was very political. And, and you know, the reason he got censored at CBS is because he, he took every fight to the mat. Yeah. And uh, CBS finally just said, this is not worth it. I don't care how good their ratings are. So after reading the book, I wanted to see the uh, disc. He's also a parent at our high school, so... My wow. Son, I'm so jealous. My son was at a, a party. His son is, uh, is a senior at the high school at a party. And uh, Tommy came down and hung out with my son for an hour or two. Jesus. And I'm saying, I'm saying, well, how, how was that? He said, oh, he's very funny. I said, huh? <laughs> Apparently he's very profane as well, <laughs> which if you read the book, doesn't surprise you. So that's why I'm watching the Smothers Brothers. Uh, but, uh, but my next one talk about revealing will be snakes on a plane so i oh. <laughs> i somehow i missed that movie when it was in the theaters and that's what netflix is great for but i have to say uh really the best lately i have look at i've been have i've had the painted veil since january 3rd the reason is i got like doing the watch instantly thing i watch something almost every night on netflix without waiting for a dvd even if it's a business day i can watch the terminator right away i don't have to wait in fact, these are recommendations uh, because of the movies that, and shows, the TV shows I've watched. This is what Netflix thinks I'd like to see next. And actually, I have to say, it's a pretty good list of... Re I never, some of these I never heard of. Some of them are classics. So, yeah, you can Dr. go right Shavago? there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you laughing at? That's one I of the, never would have known you as a romantic, Leo. The greatest, I, guess, I guess I would have, yeah. Of course I'm a romantic. Yeah, of course. That's the right. greatest movie of all time. But anyway... That's just that's just the idea is you press a button on your Xbox 360, your PlayStation 3, your many Blu-ray players these days, many TVs these days, the Roku box, the Nintendo Wii, your computer, your iPad, your iPhone, and you can watch these movies right away instantly. You're never without entertainment. Some good new movies out. Salt just came out. Uh, Easy A, I'd missed that in the theaters. Hot Tub Time Machine, The Graduate. 
Wouldn't that be Easy fun? Easy A was really was great. It? Oh, well, obviously The Graduate, but Easy A is great. Oh, I'm, I'm just dying to see it. I yeah, love yeah, the premise. Really good. Yeah. See, now I know what I'm watching tonight. <laughs> yeah, the lead is really cute. I, remember, I forget her name. I she love does her. Yeah, it's, it's Glee yeah. without music. Yeah, oh. it basically. <laughs> it's uh, it's high school, uh, a high school comedy. I just watched The Joneses with Demi Moore and David Duchovny on Netflix. See, I love David Duchovny. Okay, but, I'm not you know. sure I'm a Demi Moore fan exactly. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like her. She's really the reason to watch the movie. <laughs> really? So you yeah. are a Demi Moore fan. I am. I am. I, I interviewed her years ago when she was on General Hospital. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, very cute. But uh, and still cute. She hasn't actually aged. I don't understand really at all. It's uh, crazy. I don't know how that works. Camera likes her very much. She was in that um, sexy movie where she was the stripper, right? Yes. I watched that on uh, watching. See, you can. You don't have to actually order a DVD. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that she can do GI Jane and then do the sexy yes. stripper movie yes. is just there. You me. go. That's it. Yeah. And see, that's the other thing that's great about Netflix. You know, if you're in the mood for a trashy movie, watch it. Just enjoy it. Enjoy yourself. Want to see the free? You don't have to look free. at the DVD sitting around. You want to see the Fast and the Furious tonight? Go right ahead. No one Chat will room. ever know. Chat room: a hundred years of movies, and Leo chooses snakes on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the beauty of it. I want you to try it free. If you're not, I don't know how you could not be a Netflix member. But if you're not, lucky us. We get credit if you go to Netflix.com slash twit. Not twig, twit. It's one, uh, one uh, coupon code for the whole network. Uh, and uh, and it, sign up today for that 30-day free trial. Um, even if you're already a member, one of the nice things about Netflix is you can buy a gift certificate for family and friends. I give my mom Netflix every year for her birthday. She loves it. I doubt she's watching Snakes on a Plane, but she loves it. Netflix.com slash twit. Give it a try, please. You're gonna you'll thank me for it. I know you will. Time for our tool. Oh no, do I I'm a tool, you're a tip. Time exactly. for our <laughs> <laughs> tip of the week, Gina. Um, so another Gmail Labs tip this week, uh, background send. So Gmail's been getting a little slow lately. You know, you write a, you write a message, you hit send, and you have to wait like a couple of seconds before like it gets done. Yeah. I know this seems like a really s small nitpicky thing to get upset about, but, you know, it adds up over time if you send a lot of email. So they just introduced in Gmail Labs background send. When you hit the send button, you get, you get returned to your inbox instantly, and the sending happens kind of in the background. So you can keep you know, chatting or checking your mail or processing mail while the sending happens. And it makes Gmail just a little feel just a lot more, you know, a lot snappier. So if you go into your Gmail settings uh, into Labs, which there are a million great Labs features, and I have, I'm sure I have half of them enabled. It's probably worth uh, just checking Labs every few days. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, I mean, the Gmail blog does a good job of making announcements when they add new ones. Uh, but yeah, background send, you hit enable, and when you send mail, just don't log out until it's done. And you'll, have, you'll see a little yellow uh, status message saying, send, you know, sending your message. Cool. Now Gmail's slow. I can't get to the labs. Oh, well. There it is. Uh, so question, question, guys. I, I just noticed in the last week or so, maybe if this has been there for five years and I've never seen it, is I start typing an email to Leo Laporte, and it says to me, would you like to include Gina Trapani? Yes, that I've is, been noticing that too. That was a labs feature that they rolled into the so full Brad, Gmail. Great. That's the what yeah. about Bob feature, I think. What about the, Bob or the wrong bill yeah. or something like yeah. that? Yeah. 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 That, and it's pretty smart. It is. It, it is. It does two things. It does the wrong Bob and what about Bob. So 
if uh, the wrong Bob is if you send it to Bob Smith instead of Bob Jones, it says you meant Bob Jones, didn't you? I don't know mm -hmm. how it knows that, but but some but I guess based on your previous correspondence, and then the what about Bob? If you leave somebody out of something that you normally would CC everybody, and that now, what I want them to do is I want them, I want to be able to as always as Stephen said before I want to export that data and visualize it. Oh yeah, that would be neat. That would be really neat. You know, this is, this is always what I think about when we talk about Google and social. Google knows so much about my yeah. private life based solely on my, like, daily Gmail usage for the past five years yeah. and, and even my contacts. Um, so, it's, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I mean, it would, it would be a little creepy if they did something. I'm going to use creepy, the word that makes Jeff nuts. Oh. <laughs> uh, if they did something about it because I have the expectation that, that mail is private, right? It's not, I'm not going to a profile and filling it out for public consumption. Well, I'm they saying. could do it in your dashboard. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I would bet that dashboard is intended to do in the long run. The, the idea behind Google dashboard is to show you what Google knows about you. Yeah, yeah. And, but uh, it, it, if you could export your contacts in clusters based on how you communicate with them, like you, you know, you two would be my twig cluster, that well, would be really cool. I can see some of that right now. Contacts, yeah. it says most contacted. Those yes. are the three, right. three people I send the most email to. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think that that's, that's conceivable. I mean, God, the stuff I could find out about myself from looking at my latitude, what my location history. I mean, how many hours I spent at work. You know, yep. I mean, it's... Well, you don't need that now. Apple knows that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and they will move it to every new iOS device you buy. <laughs> that was the part about it that bugged me, was that it got backed up and moved on to my new iOS devices. Like, come on. Well, they backed the whole thing up. Well, right, but I, you know, yeah, I know. Transparent, not, I want to know. I want to know. No, I'm not defending well, no, that's them. All. It's so easy. Just give me, let me, give me knowledge and control, and then everything's okay. I'm not a dummy. You can tell me. I can take it. Maybe. That's what I want to say to Apple. Maybe everything's okay. Maybe uh, the knee-jerk reaction of 99% of the real people would be, turn that off. And uh, Yes, but hiding it these days is only going to get You shouldn't worse. hide it. You shouldn't hide it. And then, yeah. then the Wall Street Journal can act like they discovered something. Right. Did you well, that's know? what cracks me up because, I mean, this stuff has always been a known. I mean, yeah. you, I wasn't surprised. It was a, I, I believe Apple, when they said that was a bug, they didn't mean to save it. But, um, of course, they're collecting that data. Just like Google was collecting data about Wi-Fi access spots and GPSs with its Street View. That's how yep. you build those databases. Right. Anyway, enough. Enough. <laughs> your, your number of the week, Mr. Jarvis. Thank you for not stealing it. I, we didn't have a chance. We hardly did any news. 39%. That's how many people, according to Google, use their smartphones in the bathroom. <laughs> Show of hands. I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a hundred percent in this in this room. Oh yeah. Well, okay. Smartphone and also iPad, tablet. Not yet. Really? That's, but that's a good that's, idea. That's, that's, that's because men read in the bathroom. Uh, Steve Jobs, when uh, when he was first asked about the uh, notion of making a tablet, he says, "I'm not going to make a bathroom device." He knew it. Yeah. He knew exactly what people wanted it for. Well, this is a survey of um, smartphone usage by Google they put out and some other numbers. Let's go down. How do they uh, wait a minute? Do they know where my bathroom is? How are what? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Apparently, they're watching my location. Good God, number two, they know. <laughs> Did you use no, the eco flush, Mr. Jarvis? <laughs> you used two gallons on that. <laughs> We're actually <laughs> contemplating, if you come out for our grand opening of the new studio, we are currently in hot negotiations with Kohler for their super new 
heavy-duty toilet that when you get near it, it opens up for you, and it has a remote <laughs> control, and it plays music, and it, it, you know, it bathes you in all sorts of scented chemicals. Is it Wi-Fi? Does it, does it, does it do anything with Wi-Fi? I want to know. I'm sure if it could, it would. I don't know. I'll check. Does it like blow dry, uh, blow dry your bottom when you're yes, done? blow chops your bottom. Those? That was a Freudian oh, slip. I'm not going to go was. there. It really was. <laughs> and by the way, we have a title. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I suppose I should cut that out. Uh, no. Let me but show this, you my... Gina's camera is so good as to show her blushing. She's blushing. The entire uh, chat room is like LOLing right now. So, okay, fine. I'll take that. Oh, man. That was a good line. And I didn't let you get away with it either. Cause, yeah, uh, you didn't. I, I could have ignored that and moved on and talked about my phone, but no. So uh, I, am, I, have a, I do have a tool. Uh, first of all, I'm going to show you the tool on the, uh, on the new uh, G2X, which we were talking about. It really is all that and more. The G2X is the new T-Mobile Google Experience phone that is running Tegra 2, so it's dual core. And uh, Gina, you really can see the speed. I mean, it just really feels fast and lively. And I've talked about it before. Now, I have to say I'm very excited because uh, I found an app for it that I really like that's free right now. If you go right now to the Amazon App Store, you know, usually the free apps like Doodle Jump, but everyone's on something you actually want. <laughs> this is an alternative calendar that I never heard of. It's a $5 program. Normally, it's free right now from Mikado Software called Business Calendar, and I really, uh, really like it. It has a very nice uh, set of, of widgets uh, to use. You see, I've got a little mini widget down here that's the calendar. Um, it has a lot of uh, very nice features that improve on the Android calendar. Of course, it syncs automatically with the... Um, uh, the uh, Google Calendar. There's the month view, which the uh, Android Calendar does not do. You can also just have colored bars if you want to just get an idea of... Um, let me see if I can get that done. Oh, I guess I do it here. Yeah, show bars. If you just want to get an idea of your busy time. But I like to show text. You see all the categories and tabs down below, which is really nice. Makes it very easy. Here's a week view. The day view is also uh, excellent. Um, you can... Edit events directly in there. I just think it's a little bit of a better calendar. I don't know if I'd pay five bucks for it. Actually, I think I probably would. I've paid some money for some expensive calendars in the past. Look, I can jam more or fewer days. Oh, that's into that. nice. Yeah. Look at that. Is that a slider? Oh, very uh -huh. nice. This is really, oh, yeah. yeah, this is really nicely done. Um, yeah, just, just hit buy with one click. Get now with one click. Yeah. On yeah. my next one. Yeah. Nice. And it's free. I have to say, every day now I go to the Amazon App Store. I, I always want to see. Uh, what they're offering because they have so many good things for free. Um, and so I just kind of, I, I, yesterday I downloaded a couple of days ago, TuneIn Radio Pro, which is still only 99 bucks. Absolutely the best radio program I've ever seen. Um, so in, in and amongst the uh, bubble level, Angry Birds and Doodle Jump, there's, occasion, <laughs> there's occasionally there something, some gems. something that you actually want. And I think today's a good one. If you're hearing this after the fact, well, you'll have to decide if it's worth $4.99. Uh, you could try it for 15 minutes free. Crazy. 15 minutes. Hey, uh, the, the Google Docs, the official Google Docs native app for Android also came out. Right. Uh, we should say that pretty quick. Um, you were amazed, Leo, that you didn't pick that. Yeah, I didn't know about it. Yeah, it's so the the cool thing that it does is that it does OCR. So you take a you take a picture with your camera and you upload it to Google Docs and it does its best to OCR uh, the you know do optical character recognition and, and translate it to text. I did a quick test right before the show and I actually took a photo of my computer screen of the blog post announcing this and I left a I left a link to it in the doc. 
Oh, let me see if I can find it here. Eileen New Google is... Docs for Android. She's got it in there. Let me just check. So this is the blog post. Oh, but you but you put in our doc, you put... I, I, yeah, I can't I believe picture, I missed this. I'm so I took stupid. a picture of the, of the screen and then uploaded it just to see what the, uh, the text recognition would be like. And it's, it's okay. There are some Gs that are Qs and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty cool app. So the wow. Google Docs app. Just search for Google, for, uh, Google Docs in the, in the market. And we're and that, in the... Oh, here's, here's the photo example. I got it right here from you. Let me open this up and paste this in because it didn't convert it to a link as it sometimes does. Have you noticed that sometimes in spreadsheet it doesn't, it doesn't convert it to a link? Yeah, I think maybe no. I didn't. Yeah, you gotta, you got to press a button. Enter. Leave this page. Leave this page. So there yeah, it so is. Yeah, so that's the photo. And then if you, okay. if you scroll down, that's, that's the text. That's a hard test doing a screen. Yeah. It, it, it is. It was a I wanted to give it a tough test. It did a test. good job. Yeah, I mean, a magazine would probably do a better job. I mean, look how hard that would be to read. And I think it did a very good job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, certainly it was usable. a tough test. Yeah. You know what yeah. I want them to do is to do a transcript of any audio I give them. Yeah, they uh, could do that. They have a very good... Uh, yeah, they do. Well, YouTube doesn't that. do such a good job, but they, have, oh. but they certainly seem to know what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know how they do. All right, so there you go. I apologize for leaving that out. I didn't know about it, but I'm downloading it right now, too. So there's a few tips for you. And yes, the G2X, nice phone, uh, four-inch screen, very fast, good battery life, same as, you know, all the others, you know, Droid, uh, Droid X and all of those other phones. In other words, not enough if you use it constantly, but if you can keep it plugged in. Every once in a while, plug it in. Uh, I think you'll be pretty happy with it. And boy, I just love this phone. And it's a it's a native Google experience, which means uh, no, you know, other stuff on here. Still 2.2. Someday, someday they'll update it. They say they're going to update it soon. Gina Trapani is at Smarterware. The R-rated Gina Trapani. Oh. <laughs> Man. Oh, uh, Leo will get to meet Potty Mouth Me at Food Camp. I can't wait! You know, <laughs> offline, She'll be a villager. Uh, <laughs> and it's intentional offline. It's not a, not it's a not slip. A, it's not a, faux, not a Freudian slip. It's not a Freudian slip. Always a pleasure, Gina. Thank you so much for being here. Just the Great greatest. show today. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to see you in, uh, at Food Camp. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be fun. We'll Jeff Jarvis. I'm going to see him, one. too, and uh, a little sooner. We're going to see him in Paris. Le Bel Pays. Jeff is Great at pictures. buzzmachine.com. We will. And uh, his book. Oh, I guess we threw it out. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know. What would Google do? I know. No, you got to read them both. You got to read them both. This is not, this is journalism about the inside of Google. This is philosophy that is still very germane uh, today. I mean, it's exactly what we talk about on the show. And if you love the show and love Jeff's insights on the show, you'll love the book. What would Google Just, do? You know, it's a very nice way of saying it's BS, but that's fine. It's not BS. <laughs> well, uh, hey, Flather. If, Flather. if I call BS on, on, on this, what, what is my network? <laughs> it is all BS. It is the Blather network. But that's, that's fine. Somebody's got to do it. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Gina. Thank you Thank for joining you, us. We do this show every Wednesday. Yes, I, it is Wednesday, isn't it? We do it at 11, I'm sorry, 1 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time, live.twit.tv. You can watch it then. Uh, or always after the fact, just go to iTunes or anywhere and just search for Twig. In fact, if you go to twit.tv slash Twig, we've got a list of all the places you can get it. Absolutely free. Thanks to our fine advertisers and you, the people. Have a great week. We'll see you next time on Twig.